The God of Mischief is back and better than ever. Loki. 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 Wow. Great to see you again. Critics agree. Loki season two is marvelous. Great. And it's finally here. How much do you know? Let's assume I don't know much. A mind-bending adventure. Spectacularly cinematic. I've been waiting for a moment like this. It surpasses all expectations. A little over the top, don't you think? I thought it was spot on. Loki Season 2. Now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. You are listening to Habs and Minded. Brought to you by HabsEyesOnThePrize.com. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Absent Minded. We're in luck today. We got someone very, very special and someone I've learned to appreciate online. Gillian Kemmerer, a writer for uh, a lot of outlets, but mainly regarding KHL. And thank you for taking the time, Gillian. We, we appreciate it, really. Thank you so much for having me. I feel like we should be speaking French, but you're in Sweden and I'm in the US. So <laughs> we'll just stick to English for this one. And my French is really, really bad. <laughs> <laughs> so let's leave it out of that, please. Sure. Whatever you want. It's your podcast. We, we obviously uh, want to talk to you because your advanced knowledge of, of the Russian culture, and which was evident in, in an article you just published uh, about former Montreal Canadian uh, Darren Ditz and, and his reading of poetry during the All-Star game and not any poetry. It was Pushkin, grandfather of, of Russian poetry and probably the most fancied Russian author in Russia. It was a very impressive attempt by Darren. I have to say, when he first came out, I thought he was dressed as Abraham Lincoln because that was my North American showing. And then as he as he skates out to center ice, they gave him a microphone and he started to recite a pretty famous a poem by Pushkin, which he edited slightly at the end to kind of be like a call to wake up for the audience. But it was really impressive. And and his his diction was really good. I mean, he was saying to me that he wasn't really sure about the rhythm and the flow. But for someone who speaks uh, Russian, obviously, as a second language and who's only been studying it for a little while, he impressed me. And most imports don't really try. They don't even make the attempt. And he's studying Russian on the plane rides back and forth from Badis, which to me is a real commitment. And it shows something about Darren's character that he's come to the KHL and hasn't just wanted to ride the privilege of being an import who doesn't have to speak or, or deal locally. Like he's actually making an effort to learn Russian and to be a part of the culture. And I found that really impressive about him. He was a lot of fun to speak with. And as with any country, if you learn a few words of, of, of the language, they will take to you so much faster and they will help you with whatever you need, even if it's very, very terrible language skills that you have. Uh, I'm really impressed with it as well. I actually went back and, and listened to it uh, after I read your article. Uh, so, so brilliant work. I, I really want, and for me, I think the article where I really found you was the Tretiak one, which which was great as well. So, oh, thank you. So it's 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 a lot for me as a Swede looking into the the best league on this side of the pond, in the hockey world at least. Yeah, they, they really are incredibly competitive. It's hard sometimes to convey, at least in North America, how great the KHL is from a competitiveness standpoint. And I've, I've spoken with a lot of guys who have played in the K over the past few seasons, and they've all 
argued to me that the parody has gotten so much better. Like the worst team in the league consistently can put up a fight against the best. And I think that's a testament to some of the tightening up measures that the KHL has undertaken over the past few seasons. But there's definitely a, a fair amount of competitiveness and, and certainly a nice platform to watch players develop there. Not a lot of Americans know a lot about KHL, but when you mention it, the parity has increased, but the top teams are more or less the same as always. The, the, it's, they are. It's, <laughs> it's, it's the Red Army teams from either Moscow or, or St. Petersburg, uh, and it's unfortunate that they play in the same conference. They, they knock each other out in the semis every year. They do. Well, the funny thing about, about Moscow is that they've been consistently the regular season winner for a little while. And, and Ska has won a championship in recent memory as well. But um, say a Ska consistently would make it to the end of the regular season as the champion and fizzle in the playoffs. And I was speaking with Nigel Dawes, who is now playing with Yekaterine Borg alongside um, Pavel Datsuk. And he was telling me that there was a general belief that prior to Igor Nikitin, who's their current head coach, who's on the younger side, that say a Ska always had very traditional Russian coaching and management, which is to some extent still true but that they actually lost steam by the time they got to the playoffs, that they were being worked so incredibly hard all season that then they couldn't actually make the final push when it came to the hardest matchups of the year. So Seiska has undertaken some, some coaching and management revamps on, I would say on a light version, it's not completely true. And there's still some very Russian elements of Seiska we can get into, but I think overall with Seiska playing better in the playoffs, they, continue to stay dominant as does Ska. So it'll be really interesting this season with Seiska just a little less dominant than they were last year. I'll be very curious to see what happens. And we have Jokeret kind of creeping up the standings as well. Indeed we have. And, and I was surprised with the Seska as I pronounce it and probably yeah, wrong. Seska. Uh, but but uh, that Nikitin, he made an effort when I met him earlier this last year in Riga and he, he spoke English quite well and he was curious to speak um, English with me uh, and and even if he didn't say much he was listening carefully and and I think he looks as he is on the younger coaching side a, a little bit more towards Europe a little bit more more towards North America for for help in regards to to his development of his coaching career I think that that's fair I think he he is a bit more western minded than Previous coaches of Red Army, I mean, Red Army is consistently like the most, the, the, the greatest source of pride of, of the Soviet and Russian hockey system, for sure. Um, but Nikitin's on the younger side. He has two Canadians on his squad right now, um, Lyndon Vey and Matt Robinson. And both of them are either, if they speak Russian, it would be rather limited in scope. So he has now imports to contend with, and that's a big deal because Seiska traditionally has been an all-Russian or mostly Russian team, and, and both of them have begun to play very important roles in that Seiska lineup. So I think Nikitin is very different from what we've seen at Seiska before, and he's had quite a bit of success, especially developing some younger players. Speaking about younger players, and I'm deviating a little bit from the program here, but were you surprised with Russia's success in, in the World Juniors this year? I'm not surprised, and I'm not surprised because I've been watching some of these kids who got ice time um, at the World Juniors, getting ice time in their top KHL squads, or at the, the very least, the VHL, 
Russia or Russia hockey has really made an investment in developing younger players. It's the way Sergei Fyodorov kind of explained it to me when I met with him. He's on the board of CSKA now, um, obviously a Detroit Red Wings legend. And I spoke with him about you know, his experience with the development of Russian juniors. And he still argues that there's a problem with Russian young Russians leaving and going to North America too early, whether you look at it from the standpoint of being drafted into the Canadian juniors, or if you look at that, the upper echelons of the KHL, maybe 18, 19 years old, going just a little bit before their peak in the KHL, where they might've developed some confidence and, and a better ability to move over. Um, but when you look at the junior side, there's been a great deal of focus on, on developing young Russian players and in particular young Russian goaltenders. So seeing, for example, yes, Askarov doing so well and being so young within that tournament, um, it's a real testament to things that people like Vladislav Tretiak have been trying to work on with, with the Russian Hockey Federation. In fact, they've now um, imposed rules that don't allow you or penalize you for having an import goaltender and not giving a nod to a younger Russian player. So it's really creating a, an opportunity for some of these young Russians to rise up the ranks. So I was thrilled to see them perform. I was hopeful that they would perform. Um, and it was good to see a couple of young prospects popping up. That's really the fun of the World Juniors Championship. And I imagine that you guys had your eye on one particular prospect. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think I think after the World Juniors last year, uh, every Canadian eye has a, at least one um, I on, on, on Alexander Romanov I've started to call him the Tsar for obvious reasons <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's hard not to with a name like that uh, True. obviously I go with uh, Alexander the, the second which I think was the reformist and, and not the later <laughs> ones that were a little bit harsher <laughs> but fair <laughs> but uh, yeah it, it's, it's, it's interesting and, and he has really stood out at the draft Montreal picked him at 38 and and eyes on the prize we were confused to say the least and and I think we were less confused than some of the other outlets but because <laughs> we had a European connection but we were all very confused and and he managed to take a spot directly with Seska which was it, it sent a message that this is the guy to look at and and I was fortunate enough to get a KHL's um, uh, account and, and getting into to watching KHL regularly and I, I, could, I could follow him so for me last year's World Junior wasn't a surprise but for many others it was and after that he has been the talk of the of the team or, or at least of the prospects until Cole Caulfield came in this year but but it's it's been mm. it's been like that and he there is a gap in in the defensive end of of uh, Montreal Canadiens and uh, everyone is looking to Alexander Romanov to fulfill it did you hear anything i know you just came back from russia did you hear anything about him when you were there well, it's funny. So he's just coming off of an injury. And I don't know if you were watching the most recent CSKA game. I'm sure you were. And he got a little bit more ice time in this last game than he's normally been averaging. Um, and he, the last that I was looking at him, he was averaging somewhere around 11, 12 minutes. And there's a number of reasons why that's probably the case. But when I was there, the person that I actually spoke with about him was um, Sorokin, because as the goaltender, he's the one that, that Romanov is defending. So I was sort of like, what's your perspective? You, you probably have one of the best seats in the house. And he spoke really glowingly. He said he didn't want to tell me too much because he's afraid that Alexander would get a big head. But he essentially was saying, you know, he's a good player and he's developing and, and he has really high hopes for him. But the funny thing about, about Romanov, and, and this is something that his coach um, brought and said to me 
um, or said, excuse me, said to the Russian media, didn't say to me, I wish he had, um, about the, the development of Romanov. He essentially said, you know, this is a kid who is more suited perhaps to the North American game than to the Russian game and that he actually would develop better in North America. And I agree with him and I normally wouldn't because I normally would argue that a kid his age is better off staying in the KHL for a couple of seasons, getting a little bit more um, time and, and a few more appearances under his belt before going over to North America because the pressures of adjusting and assimilating are, are real. Um, but Romanov, I actually think, would be better off in North America. One, because he's not getting as much ice time in the KHL as you would hope to see for a young prospect who's developing. And two, um, his game is just suited to North America. He's highly physical and aggressive. He has really great um, game IQ. You can see that he's reading forwards at an advanced level. He moves and gets to the puck in a way that I thought was super impressive and, and highly on display during the World Juniors. But he plays a game that feels very North American in nature, especially with that kind of aggressiveness and that drive from a defender. And if he's not going to get the time at, say, a Scott, it would be nice to see him getting time, whether it's in the AHL or the NHL. So I'm hopeful for him to move over sooner than later. And I almost never say that. Um, but with Romanov, I, I actually do think it would be true. I'm, I'm a little bit on the other side because I don't think he will sign a deal that will let him go to the AHL. Uh, I also think um, that he will... Um, Seska, and this is me... Uh, from Sweden, uh, I think Seska will be able. They, they don't want to lose him. I remember when he came back from last year's World Juniors. He came in uh, to to the arena and they handed him this uh, big. Um, what is it? A, a paint? Not not a painting, but but it, it was a framed object, and they gave him the chance to to be alone, center eyes. Uh, this year, obviously, there were other players from Seska participating in the World Juniors. He was still there. And and Seska has rarely done this with, with youngsters before. They, they promote him. Uh, after the game today, he got an assist uh, and he played more, as you, you mentioned as well, against a very good team. Let's not forget that they played against away to Lokomotiv. That is yeah, a good very team. good team under Mike Polino. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, so so that speaks volumes. And and for me, it, it's a little bit, I look at it a little bit like with, with the roster turnover that Seska will have, I, I, at least from my point of view, this summer, he would get a bigger, uh, bigger part of the ice time. And the fact is that Seska can offer quite a lot more money than... than uh, what Montreal can with an entry-level deal. Seiska certainly has reasons to keep Romanov. I, I wouldn't argue with you on that. And, and they do have big turnover coming. Um, I think a few things stick out to me about what's going on with him. And the first is sort of the classic Russian coaching decision not to give an enormous amount of ice time to a young player when there are, you know, skilled defensemen on, on maybe a little bit older and a little bit more on the experienced side, like in Nikita Nestorov. Um, so I think Romanov, the problem is that he's going to have to continue to fight to get more than 11, 12 minutes of ice time per game. And for me personally, if I were him and I can't make financial decisions on his behalf and it's, it's never so straightforward with Russian players, you never know the circumstances they're coming from. So I'm always very compassionate or at least 
I try to consider what the financial motivations would be. But if I were him, I would probably want to get some ice time in North America sooner than later if I'm only going to be averaging between 20, 10 and 12 minutes a game at CSKA. But I do think that Moscow has a very good incentive to try to keep him. Um, a lot of their turnover is coming Let's say, well, they're losing, obviously, a star forward and a star goaltender. Um, it, well, not obviously, but so we think. And Kirill Kaprizov is almost guaranteed to go. Sorokin, it, it seems very, very likely. Um, so I think that, of course, they're going to be in a bit of a panic getting closer to the summer, especially because this season they didn't look quite as dominant as they did last season. Now, we'll see how they play out in the playoffs. We'll see if they make uh, a repeat run for the Gagarin Cup. It's obviously very likely. But I agree with you. I think that they have more and more reason to try and keep him. But I also, in my opinion, feel that Romanov's development may not necessarily be aided by spending more time there. Um, and and I, I kind of agree with Bragan that he has more of a North American style that would be suited. To, and also he's playing on, on a hybrid sized ice, the Finnish sized ice, um, which is in between Olympic and North American. So it's not that he's not getting exposure to the size ice that he'd be defending in North America. He is when he travels, but I would like to see him on the smaller ice kind of getting a sense of how fast and how aggressive the North American game is. And, and I don't normally say that, but for a player like him, he feels in a way very ready to me, but that doesn't mean Seiska is ready to let go of him. No, and it all comes down to this. And, and I pointed out in a few articles as well, that Seska has the opportunity to negotiate with him already. Yes, uh, and 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 uh, Montreal can only start negotiating with him after the first of May, which is, I think, the standard contract for European contracts to uh, to end, and and it gives sort of a leeway. It also gives him some some, um, how should I say, um, he he can bring that to Mark Bergevin and be able to say, look, this is what I'm getting. What are you offering in return? And even if it's not much that that Bergevin can offer, he can still give him some sort of incentive. Personally, I think that Seska will say, you get 80 minutes next year, don't worry about it. And you get this much money. We'll see. But, but he'll be older. Yeah. He'll be older next season. He will have gone through another playoff, so he'll get less of that sort of newbie doc that a lot of Russian um, coaches give to young players. But I think also given the level of speculation and excitement around him um, at such a young age, and of course there was this around Kaprizov and Sorokin, Seiska now has a question, which is, is it worth developing him? And this is a question that a lot of people think led to the fact that he was getting less ice time than perhaps he earned or deserved. Um, I still think it could be a dock for being young and there being some very, very talented other defensemen on that squad who have a lot of experience, including in the postseason. But let's see. Um, he is going to be in a very good bargaining position. And if he listens to Bragan, perhaps he'll come over to North America. But if he doesn't and say Scott elevates his ice time of all the teams to be playing on as a young prospect to develop on, say Scott, you really can't get better than that in the KHL. So it'll be good to see him continuously surrounded by talent, unlike someone like Vitaly Kravtsov, who you know, was a great player and had a standout season when, when Tractor Chelyabinsk made the playoffs, but then they had coaching changes. They lost Ryan Stoa, their star import, who really bolstered Kravtsov. And he was suddenly playing on a team that had absolutely no talent to flank him. And that was really concerning. So I think for someone like Romanov, it'd be great to see him in North America sooner than later. But if we don't, he's still on a squad that's talented and continue 
gifts to push him. We just have to hope that he gets the ice time he deserves. Yeah, indeed. And and I think every hockey player, every hockey fan really wants to see him. Maybe not the op- opponents, but but everyone else <laughs> wants to see him play. Uh, but but we're looking at someone like Kaprizov. He came off, obviously, he came off an uh, uh, um, Olympic gold medal winning gold uh, goal. Um, and, and he got a sweet deal with, with Seska. Um, could Seska look to something similar as his contract goes off the books? Can they look to something similar for a Romanov? It depends on how they value him in the context of the other defensemen that they have and, and who they're looking at coming up on the, the front firepower. Kirill Kaprizov had the name, he had the experience, he had an enormous track record. I mean, we're talking about the top performing, consistently one of, if not the top performing forwards in the KHL. His youth could not even be outweighed by that. He was still getting the playing time and attention. I think that, yes, they could possibly treat Romanov in the same way. I'm not necessarily certain that they will because Kaprizov was coming off of senior national team experience, scoring a game-winning goal for the, the Olympics in a very sensitive, politically sensitive Olympic Games for Russia. He There was a, a huge amount of value to retaining him um, for CSKA, both on the ice and off of it. Romanov is a great player and he's young and I think he has a lot of potential, but he's not quite as tested. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what they do with him. I wouldn't be surprised either way, um, but I would be very interested and I, I hope to get a chance to talk to Alexander to hear a bit more about what he wants, because that hasn't been made clear. Um, and I know what Bragan would be pushing him toward, but again, Bragan's just his national team coach. He spends very little time with him. So I, I don't know. It'll be interesting. I'm very curious to see what happens this summer. He's one that I have a hard time predicting either way. A lot of Russians have said to me that they're convinced he's going, um, whether it's because of the amount of ice time he's been getting or, or otherwise, but I'm not so sure. I just think it'll be it'll be a very interesting decision for him and, and probably for Montreal more so than for him, because I think he'll be in the driver's seat. Indeed, uh, th- that's what I think as well. Y- you have mentioned Kaprizov, and, and everyone that's watched KHL lately has been mentioned has has loved Kaprizov. He has the smile, he has the pedigree, he has the goals, he 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 has the play. Um, do you see his transition coming into North America being anything but a success? <laughs> well, I would say the same about Vadim Shapachyov, who's currently the leading scorer in the KHL, but he went to the Vegas Golden Knights and flamed out in a way that no one could have predicted. And even Darren Dietz said the same thing to me. He was like, I can't believe it didn't work out. And and to Shapachyov's credit, he comes back off of that and is leading the KHL. So I never can make a pure prediction when it comes to how a player transitions to North America. Here's what I do know, though, and I just spoke with Kaprizov last week. He speaks a lot more English than I was expecting him to speak. And I know some of it has to do with the fact that he was playing um, with Ryan Stoa and Linus Omark and and that he was able to get some experience with North American line mates, whether we're talking about in in Novokuznetsk or or otherwise. So that's a positive in the right direction. And whenever I hear a Russian prospect speaking English, it takes a little bit of pressure off because that's one of the biggest adjustments that they have to make. Um, Kaprizov, from what I understand, has never been to the United States. That's a little concerning to me. It'll be kind of a very much trial by fire when he arrives. Hopefully, if he signs with Minnesota, he's going to take time over the summer like Kravtsov did and get to know the U.S., get to see what it's like to be bombarded by English at all times. Um, You know, I, I say this as someone who made the reverse move. I went from North America to Russia it's overwhelming to be faced with such an enormous transition. And for me, I didn't have 
millions of eyes on me. So to be doing that in the reverse with so many people watching your every move, it's a lot of pressure. And you also then have to develop chemistry with line mates and otherwise. I think Kaprizov with senior national team experience, um, Obviously, he's played alongside NHL players before. He's had experience with with foreign players, and he's had plenty of experience playing against them, but also playing alongside them. These are all good signs that I think Kaprizov will be able to make the transition. I hope Minnesota steps out and puts out a helping hand to aid him in that transition. But I don't have a reason to believe that performance-wise, he won't be able to to hack it. I think if he's feeling comfortable, he's going to do great. And he's performed in all sorts of conditions and and has consistently shown that he can have courage under pressure, that he has an incredible ability to get to the net. Some players say that it literally looks like luck, except he's been doing it for years. Just immense timing, unbelievable shot. Um, Sorokin says that it drives him nuts having to take shots from Kaprizov in practice every single day. So, you know, the kid has everything. It's just going to be, you know, how comfortable is he when he moves over? So I hope that that Minnesota will invest in helping making that transition easier. But I have no reason to believe he can't perform on the ice. But again, I would have said the same thing about Shapachev. So we will see. Yeah, and I think you bring up a very interesting thing. Moving abroad is difficult. I moved from Sweden to England and, and mm. I thought it was really difficult because you you sure. pay you pay your bills in another way. You 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 that there is another culture setting. Everything is is a little bit different, and you can't. It, it takes time to to grasp it. And coming over as an 18, 19 year old, uh, even as a Swedish guy coming over, you need the team to step in and help out in in as many ways as they can. And hopefully, more and more teams realizes this because. It's an investment for them as well. They want your play. They, they should want a player to succeed. And and for me, I, I think that uh, I think Kaprizov is actually a more sure thing than than Jitchaev was. But but mm. it's he was a little bit older and maybe more set in his ways and and had a little bit more to lose. Whereas Kaprizov has everything to win. I think. He, oh, he certainly does. And on the financial front, that's that's no question. But he comes over. At, there's a sweet spot for Russian players to come over. I tend to think it's an early to mid-20s, a guy like Gusev or Panadin, um, who have enough under their belt to be confident in themselves on the ice, but they also are old enough to be able to handle the pressures and the dramas of moving. Kaprizov is 22, I believe, so he's young, but I... I do believe that there's there's great possibility for him to have that transition. He is very positive. He's super exuberant. Um, he reminds me a little bit of a young Alexei Kovalev in that sense. So I think that there's definitely a possibility that he's going to come over and just nail it from day one. Um, I never say it 100%, but I have a good feeling about him, certainly in speaking with him as well. His desire is is unable to be contained to move over to North America. And that's really great to see. And and obviously, I, I have to ask you, one that never crossed the, the, the Atlantic was Sergei Mosiakin. How good mm. would he have been in the NHL? Oh, he would have been unbelievable. He's he's right now the leading scorer in the KHL of all time. And Nigel Dawes is the only person that's come even remotely close. And I think there's still about a 100-point cushion. Mosiakin is still doing incredibly well in the K. He's still a, a leader. Um, I think he would have stood up to anyone in the NHL. It's a shame he didn't come over. I, you know, it's interesting about that choice. I, I would have loved to have seen him tested in the NHL. It's like him and Vladislav Tretiak are the two people that I would have loved to have seen play 
in the NHL if I had my my choice, but he's unbelievable and he just continues to set records in the K. So it would have been kind of fun to see him tested in North American teams. Yeah, I made an I, I did an interview with uh, uh, Sigalette and and actually also Francis Paré and and both of them were like, yeah, it's unbelievable. You, you have to yeah, see him and, and especially it's prime. And and I remember uh, Sigalette saying, yeah, I was I was playing for for. Um, forgot the team not Slovan but but the other Slovakian team and and that mm. was in there and he was like I came out in the in the first intermission I said who is this guy why didn't you tell <laughs> me about him and they were like don't worry he scores like a hundred every year and it's so great I love it well it's true it's absolutely true and he's not in his prime now but he's still outpacing even some of the youngsters so He's a pretty unbelievable player. I really was hoping to see him at the All-Star Week. I believe he's he's nursing an injury at the moment. Um, but I was I was hoping to talk to him. So I hope that that opportunity comes at some point this season. I've enjoyed this a lot, Jillian. Thank you again for taking the time. If you want to follow Jillian on, on Twitter, please do. It's, uh, it's at Jillian Kemmerer. Yeah, that's right. And uh, is there any other social media you want to mention, like Snapchat, Snapchat? Uh, what Instagram and everything else that, that everyone has nowadays. <laughs> I right now I'm operating solely on Twitter. I have an Instagram. I haven't taken it public, but I've been encouraged to. So I'll keep you updated. But for right now, Twitter is the place to find me. Thank you again. And and we really appreciate it. Um, and thank you guys for listening. You find us at all the usual places for podcasts. And we'll get back to you next week. Before Shopify, were you wondering, where are my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.